Ah, hey, Andy. <laughs> yes, you are first. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> hey, kitten. Addie's not here with me today. Hey, Sid. Good morning. Oh, crap. I got to do my magnet by myself. Forgot it. Hey, Nicole, good morning. Hey, Lindsay. What's going on, peeps? Just me, myself, and I today. So I got to remember everything by myself. <laughs> but I can put the mic closer to me. Is that better? Hey, Joanne. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Oh, I didn't even turn my light on. Wow, I'm slacking today, guys. Mixing up my water. Hold on one second. Got to get my peach water. I don't know, Andy. It's a risk I'm willing to take. <laughs> it's a risk I am willing to take. Oh, crap. Nothing like shaking up water with the cap not all the way on. God, I'm doing good. Yeah, that's about 90 proof. Yeah, no. Oh, I can't do it. I used to love peach snobs. I can't do it anymore. Ugh. Same with uh, screwdrivers. Can't do them either. Shut up, Andy, before you say something crude. Let me get connected here on Blog Talk Radio. Sorry, guys. See, I... Hey, Eli. You're out and about today? No worries. No worries. Hope you're having fun out and about. Maybe. I get worried when I'm downstairs having my last cigarette and a CGI guy comes in, which is our internet. So I'm like, oh crap, what are they doing? <laughs> there we go. Let's put that down. All right. I think I'm set. Maybe. What's today? Tuesday? All right. Got everything going, I think. 
I think. How is everybody? Good morning. All right. Let me just wait till 10.05 and then we'll, I'll put in the magnet. Eddie's not here today. Eddie's over doing his computer-based learning on the, on the, um, at the store. <laughs> I had to think of what the hell I was talking about. What's going on, guys? Good morning. But I have it all. You're tired still? Oh, oh cool, Andy. <laughs> Very cool. That was awesome yesterday. I, I absolutely loved hearing that. I could totally, totally get lost, have that running, and just sit back. And I don't meditate, but I probably would with that. All right, it's 10.05. Putting a magnet in now. Who's going to keep track? <laughs> I'll probably wear it the whole show, forgetting about it. You're still tired, kitten? Yeah. I went to bed fairly decent. I think it was like almost 1 o'clock when I went. God, I put on a sweatshirt. I was cold. I put on a sweatshirt. Now I'm sweating. I didn't even put the fan in here. But, um, yeah. Almost one o'clock in the morning. I was too busy eating Andicap hot fries. So after the show yesterday, Eddie's like, I'm going to run to the post office because we knew something was there. And then I'm going to run to the store and I'll be back. I said, okay. So all of a sudden I hear the door open. I'm sitting here doing, you know, research and everything. I hear the door open. He goes, I'm lied. I'm not taking this big box over to the store. I'm like, big box? It shouldn't be a big box. Ron, the sweetheart that he is, I mentioned that I liked Handicap Hot Fries and they don't sell them up here. Sent me some Handicap Hot Fries. So thank you, Ron. Thank you so much. You're probably not here yet. But I thought that was so sweet. <laughs> For booking, yeah, please contact this manager, Nicole. Yeah, I know. I will. I will, Nicole. I'll, I'll hit you up. I'll be like, I want him to play a gig in Alaska. <laughs> I have coffee, but it's it's almost like iced coffee. I put too much milk in it. But yeah, so there was this big box of Andy Cap Hot Fries, which was super sweet of Ron. I thank you, Ron, so much. So last night, what, almost one o'clock in the morning, I was sitting there munching on Andy Cap Hot Fries. I finished one whole bag, and they're big bags. I, I was going to bring one in, and I forgot. Hey, Freaky Geek, how are you this morning? Good morning. Hope everybody is doing well. I can I can be nice and I can I didn't switch the settings but I can have the mic closer to me now. <laughs> That's understandable for geek. I don't know why 
with YouTube and the notifications, you never know what the hell is going to happen, you know? You're doing melting? Is that a form of wax melting? <laughs> um, it's cold outside here. It's raining a little bit. Well, I shouldn't say a little bit. It's a lot raining. It's chilly outside. That's why I came up here. I put on my sweatshirt and now I'm freaking sweating. <laughs> oh, melting hot. Okay. Okay. And even stranger as I was right here at two on your channel. That's weird. Isn't that weird? I don't know. Well, I did. So I was rushing around. I got, I was downstairs smoking my couple cigarettes before I came up to do the show. And um, I got so drawn into what I love watching construction going on. Like, what are they doing? Why are they using that machine? What's that thing? You know, I'm like a guy when it comes to, uh, Hey bug. Hey, Danielle. Yuri. <laughs> I never know what to call her. <laughs> For anybody who doesn't know, Yuri is my daughter. She is my lovely daughter. Good morning, Ron. So yeah, I get construct or I get caught up in watching construction. I'm like a guy with that. I'm just like, what are they doing? Why? <laughs> there you go, smelting. There you go. Isn't that a thing? Oh, is that what it is? Okay, Andy. <laughs> it could be. It could be. <laughs> good morning bug how are you i saw your message finally this morning i don't know what it is but yahoo messenger sucks or not yahoo messenger well yes yahoo messenger does suck because it's not around anymore but uh facebook messenger sucks like it don't give me my notifications i've tried i've tried uninstalling it and reinstalling it and same with Facebook itself. And I don't use it on the computer because that's the only application. If I put Facebook on my app or on my computer, walk away to get coffee, go to the bathroom, whatever, my computer will be froze up. I miss it too, Freaky Geek. I used to use it all the time. That's what we used to do in the leagues on pogo.com. Um, that's how we used to let everybody know that we were having a tournament was Yahoo Messenger. Oh, well, thank you, Eli. Look at you. <laughs> he's he's good. He's out and about and doing. <laughs> yeah, Nicole, it's crazy. I don't know what's up with Facebook. So today, we, of course, it is True Crime Tuesday. We are discussing missing 411 cases and unsolved murders. Happy and sad. Oh, no. Ugh. 
Yeah, I know, right? Well, I guess that's better than Lucy, Andy. <laughs> I need the number to the hotel, Missy. When I call. but you never know when I'm working. See, that's the thing because I only work like once a week right now. <laughs> I know. So today on today's show, we have. We're talking about the Beaumont children. On January 26, 1966, three children disappeared from a beach just miles away from their home. Then we'll be talking about, um, I'm going to wait to the end to this for this story because I was like, then we'll be talking about maybe confuse chaos again with the mystery of Nicholas Barkley and his imposter, Frederick Bordine. So, so it's like a Bruce and Bobby story. So I'm going to hold on to that to the end because we're going to try and confuse him again. Um, <laughs> and then we're going to talk about Brian Schaefer, the ultimate disappearance. And from there, we're going to go inside the disappearance of Jennifer Kess and then the mysterious case of Maura Murray. So, hey, Age of Darkness, how are you? Welcome. Good morning. Well, probably good afternoon. I mean, you and I can't stretch it any. What did I miss? Uh oh. <laughs> I know, right, Andy? <laughs> I just realized with no any distractions, the stream will be done in a half an hour. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it, you know. I'm I'm trying to, you know. I don't know what how long his computer. I can't remember from the last time he worked there how long it was. I know he got a late start of doing it because they were trying to fix an issue. He was probably distracting them. <laughs> how is everybody? I hope everybody's doing well. Hope your Tuesday is going well. I really need to clear off my desk. It's like really, really bad. So, without further ado, shall we get into the stories? Oh, no, no, we want to add that. I forgot that that wasn't up. See? With all the things that I try to get him ready for, I forget what I'm doing myself. You're hungry? I can't help you. <laughs> I just have coffee and water here. Peach water, I mean... Ron, Ron, by the way, I did see you there. Thank you so much for the hot fries. I was eating them at almost 1 o'clock this, mor this morning. 1 o'clock in the morning. I want to extend the show. Eddie can't be here for you. You wire the chair up to the main supply. And every time you get a lemon diamond or do oh, my God, that would be so funny. I should put, a, put that on one of the cards. I can probably do it somehow to where, because his chair has a um, vibrating mechanism. Wouldn't that be funny if he didn't know about it? And like, if I could wire it to somehow every time I get a lemon or whatever, like Andy said, a notification, <laughs> it goes off. You know, he's probably going to watch this back. No, just Eddie. Just Eddie. Not me. I don't want to be shocked. <laughs> I 
That would be hilarious. Be like, what the hell? <laughs> wow, I felt that vibrate or that notification. That shit would be funny. Oh my god. I couldn't even imagine. Let me make sure everything is up and running right. Okay, I believe so. Hopefully. I don't know. Because I, I was thinking about like shaving this part of my So I might, you know, my hair might go into a a, a Liberty Mohawk. <laughs> Either that or the little spikes, you know. You never know. I'll put some color in there just in case. There you go. See? <laughs> That's true. That's true. My hair would go out of print. No, I don't know. My hair is long, but not that long. Yeah, an Andy hairdo on me. How would that look? I'm sure if I, you know, wear a mohawk, though, um, I'm sure the hotel probably would. Oh, I could imagine <laughs> Jason be like, cool. His mom would not be <laughs> cool with it. I'm sure. So, shall we get into the stories? The first story up is about the Belmont children. What's that? Electric body touch. Oh, um, yeah, I know what you're talking about, Freaky Geek. Hair is long, but not that long. Well, it's it's long for me. My hair is about shoulder length. No, not my chair. We're going to do Eddie's chair. Yeah, that thing, Andy. <laughs> We're going to do Eddie's chair to shock him. We don't want to shock me. I'm the sweet, innocent one. I Yeah, he would freak out if his hat got pushed off. Oh, my God. <laughs> he would. He would freak out. You guys know how he is. Hopefully, he has his room key on him because I shut the door all the way. So we might get a message in chat. Hey, you want to let me in? <laughs> On January 26, 1966, three Belmont children, nine-year-old Jane, seven-year-old Arna, and four-year-old Grant disappeared from a beach just miles away from their home in Adelaide, which is the same beach, I believe, that the uh, Turin there guy was found that agent. No one has seen them or heard from them again, making it one of Australia's most renowned missing persons case. Every now and then an event happens that not only impacts society, but finds a way to change it. Whether these be small events or large events, the impact is felt by all. Of course, the strong and vivid memories of September 11th, an event that changed the landscape around the person writing this, and me as well, 
and most of us, um, it always stands, it's going to stand out in mind, you know? Um, but in 1966, the Bowmans lived in a very idealistic lifestyle. Jim, the father, was a linen goods salesman that traveled the surrounding area to meet with clients. And Nancy, the mother, was a stay-at-home housewife that cared for the couple's three children. The couple had lived in Adelaide for some time, giving birth to their first child, Jane, in September of 1956. They would then go to welcome Erna, and hopefully I'm saying that right, in November of 58, and their only son, Grant, in 61. The five Belmonts lived together in their small, idyllic-looking home of 109 Harding Street in the suburbs of Somerton. If the name Somerton sounds familiar, it might because that's where the location where the unknown identified man was found in 1948, also known as the Tom and Should case. But that's a mystery for another time. Well, we already did that. So needless to say, the Belmonts were living the dream. Just minutes away from the beach, they lived in a suburb known as a quiet grandeur. And by all known accounts, things were going well for the family of five. But unknown to any of them, things were about to take a serious turn for the worse. In weeks preceding their tragic disappearance, three children had become slightly independent. Both Jim and Nancy trusted their oldest daughter, Jane, now nine, to supervise the other two on trips to the beach. Whenever they wanted to head to the beach, they would simply take a short bus ride there and back. What did the Bowmans have to be worried about? Their small slice of Adelaide suburbs left no doubts in their mind, at least when it came to the safety of their children. There was nothing to fear. And back then, it was true. You know, you could let your kids go out and, and play wherever they want. You didn't have to worry. You know, it was like that here in the States, at least. During the Australian summer months, the temperatures were continuously rising and heading upwards of 40 degrees Celsius, 100 degrees Fahrenheit for us ignorant Americans. <laughs> the couples didn't think twice when it came to letting their children escape to the beach. So this was becoming a common thing, and for weeks, the three children had traveled to the beach and back numerous times, encountering no trouble at all. Despite their rather shy nature, it also seemed to be good for the children. It allowed them to socialize outside of school setting and kept them active in the summer sun. In fact, Arna, the family's seven-year-old daughter, often joked about Jane having a boyfriend down at the beach. At that time, the family thought nothing of Arun's comment. But why would they? It was just a joke from a seven-year-old. Haha, <laughs> Andy. Um, on January 25th, Jim Beaumont decided to accompany his children on one of these visits to the beach on his way out of town. He was headed out on business and wouldn't see his children for the next couple of days. Right before he left, four-year-old Grant came over, Grant came over to say goodbye to his father. Don't worry, Daddy, we'll be fine. On the morning of January 26, 1966, things were normal. It was Australia Day, which was, for all of us overseas with little knowledge of Australia traditions, is very similar to the 4th of July or Canada Day. It's a day to celebrate Australian pride and history and rather it's rather joyous occasion. With the temperature rising, Nancy didn't give it a second thought when the children asked to go to the beach. It would keep the children busy and happy for a few hours, 
and it would give her more than enough time to visit a friend of hers. She gave the children eight shillings and six pence in coins to buy snacks down at the beach and let them set up the bus stop they usually they, they usually frequented. frequented. This bus stop was less than a few hundred yards from the front door of their house, just a block away at the corner of Harding and Diagonal Street. Diagonal. Shut up, Andy. I know you know American traditions in Canada Day. Well, maybe not Canada Day, but yes. At roughly 10.10 in the morning, the children were spotted boarding the bus by several witnesses, including the bus driver. A woman then witnessed some climb aboard recalled that Jane, the oldest one, was holding a copy of Little Woman. I used to love that book. A book that had become one of her favorites. This woman could also recall the distinct coloring of the three colors clothing, which gave credence for her testimony. At approximately 10.15, the bus headed off her through which led the children to the beach they constantly went to, named Glenage, or Glenelge, which I learned in the related Thinking Sideways. Um, it's a palindrome. Okay. The next hour or so regarding the Baumont children is, lar- is a large mystery. Their local postman, who knew the children well, recalls seeing them during this time frame. Tom Patterson, who could easily identify the children, claimed that he saw the three children walking toward the beach on Jetty Road, 10 or so blocks north of where they lived. There wasn't, this wasn't unusual for the three. Thank you, Freaky Geek, for the ice cream. I appreciate it, hon. Thank you. Um, this wasn't unusual for the three, so they kept a small mental note up of it, perhaps messing up the timeline in a small way. He would later go on to say that it was possible they had seen the children in the afternoon, but his earliest accounts recall seeing the children in the morning on their way down to the beach. At around 11 o'clock in the morning, an elderly woman who was sitting on the beach outside of the Holdfast Sailing Club recalled seeing the three children playing in a sprinkler at the Collie Reserve. This is a large patch of grass, largely resembling a park. So it wasn't out of the ordinary for the kids to be frolicking in this area. Yeah, Freaky Geek, sometimes it does. Like I said, when I was watching the construction downstairs, the CGI guy was down there, which is our cable company or internet, one of the two. I don't know. Um, So it kind of scared me a little. I'm like, oh, crap. So they might be messing with that. That's not funny, Andy. <laughs> That's not funny at all. <laughs> um, so they were playing down the, the, the same elderly woman. Okay, hold on one minute. Okay, frolicking in that area. Now the kids were finally at the beach nearly an hour after their arrival. There was witnesses around that remember seeing them. But unfortunately, the size of Adelaide area helps ensure that they were many tourists and unrecognizable visiting. The same elderly woman that spotted the children playing in the sprinkles also noticed a younger looking man in a blue swim trunks watching the children. He was lying face down in the grass at the time, but would later be spotted by this woman actually playing with the children less than 15 minutes later. 
Yeah, exactly, Freaky Geek. That's why I want Eddie hooked up so he can jump when I do. That's right. It would be funny, Eddie getting shocked. <laughs> it would be. We could see how many swear words come out of his mouth at once. Especially if his hat comes off. <laughs> According to this um, elderly woman, at least three other eyewitnesses, this man stood about six foot one and was lean with blonde hair and thin looking face. He was apparently wearing a blue bathing suit and had been watching the three Belmont children for a few minutes before befriending them. Both freaky geek, see and hear. It would be great. <laughs> this is all between us, right? <laughs> it's unknown who this man was, although in the years since, he's become prime candidate for suspicion. Many theories have been wit- written about who this man was, who appeared to be in his early to mid-30s to those that saw him. Rumors have lingered that this man who perhaps been befriending the children for a matter of days or week was the boyfriend that Arna spoke about to the family in the family home. Unfortunately, the truth of the matter would never be solved, but the children were seen leaving the beach in the company of this unknown man. I know he, yeah, I know he does watch the replays too. (laughs) I love you, baby. Just in case, you know, he does watch it. (laughs) While the children leaving the beach with this suspicious man was alarming, the witness at the beach weren't the last people to see the Balmont children alive. They would be seen over the next half an hour or so at Wenzel's Cake Shop. This is where somewhere between 11.45 in the morning and 12.15 in the afternoon, but accounts seemed to differ on the exact time. Apparently, the children came to purchase some small treats, which meant a couple of pastries, but also bought a meat pie. They played, or they paid for all of this with one pound note, which leads to a couple unanswered questions. <laughs> hey, Cassie, good morning. How are you, hon? First of which, who were the children buying the meat pie for? The Beaumonts recall that none of the children would have been interested in eating this kind of thing, especially before lunch and would have spent their meager allowance on sweets of some kind, not savory meat pie. Secondly, where did they get the money for their sweets from? Nancy Beaumont distinctly recalls giving her children eight shillings and six pence, which, but never never a one pound note. This would be like a kid paying for a candy bar with a $20 bill after especially being given pocket change by their parents. Nancy recalled giving them just enough to cover the bus fare and for them to buy a couple of small treats, but nothing of that size. This means that children, the children likely got the money from someone else, probably the same strange man from the beach, and they bought the meat pie for him specifically. Where he was during this time period is unknown, but it stands to reason that if he had bad intentions for the three innocent Beaumont children, that he would want to be spotted spotted with him as little as possible. Maybe he was waiting outside or even on a bench nearby waiting for the children to return to him. That's kind of, yeah, it's creepy. 
definitely creepy. There was more witnesses that may have seen the Beaumont children with this man, and what they saw was very concerning. He apparently spent 15 minutes with the children, helping them get their clothes on after they had been playing in the sprinklers at Cauley Reserve. Even the witness recalls this as being very odd, but they just had to assume at the time that the man was a relative of the children or something like that mattered because he seemed, since they seemed to be regarding him personally. Eight shillings and a sixpence. Jeez, I maybe got a sixpence at the weekend if I had been caught during the week and got in trouble. <laughs> See, Andy? I know, right? But remember, they did have, she gave them enough money for the bus fare, too. That's probably why. You know what I mean? Um, There were more witnesses that may have seen the bus. Apparently, you didn't get paid a lot when you were a kid, right? Because I can imagine you were a troublemaker. <laughs> What a good troublemaker, right? We love you. <laughs> um, uh, this stands at odds with what we know of the children, especially Jane. Nancy Belmont would later recall that her nine-year-old daughter was very shy and wouldn't have been comfortable with a stranger she just met to help her get dressed. She was young and could get overly excited at times, but she wasn't completely naive. There was an older lady sitting in the park bench right next to a pair of grandparents who were waiting for their grandchildren. Apparently, they were approached by this strange man who asked them if they had seen anyone messing with his clothes. He apparently walked away from it for some time and claimed to be missing money. Right after this was when he began dressing the children and taking his time to do so as if he were enjoying it. Sadly, it was the last time that the Beaumonts would ever be seen by confirmed witnesses. Nancy Beaumont was expecting the children home short, shortly after this, as they had been told to take the noon bus back home. She arrived. Thank you, Little Red, for the ice cream. Hey, hon. Welcome, welcome. Right, Andy, or right, Ron, he probably never got an... Um, Probably never got an allowance. <laughs> so she had arrived shortly. Uh, she had arrived shortly before then to prepare lunch for the kids, and was surprised to see the bus makes it stop just a block away from the house, and then leaving again without her children departing it. Much love to you, Lil Red. Now, we can see the major discrepancies between the past and the present. In this day and age, such an event would not happen because three young children would rarely be given so much leeway and personal freedom. But in this situation, in a cozy small town, this wasn't odd. And that wasn't odd for, you know... Um, But... Immediately, you know, she began to assume that the children had missed a bus and whether we're either going for a walk, you're going to walk home or simply take the next bus in an hour or two. They'd apparently done this both in the past, so it wasn't an emergency to her. There were potentially two more sightings of the children 
in the hour after their last confirmed appearance, but nothing that investigators have ever ruled to be fact. Oh, it's time to take the magnet. Oh, dun, dun, dun. Oh, let's take the magnet out so it don't drop. There we go. Day whatever done. <laughs> um, so the first of which was potential or which is the potential sighting by Tom Patterson, the local postman who originally claimed to see the children in the morning, but over time changed his statement and he claims that he was possible that he saw them in the early afternoon which would fit the narrative if they missed their noon bus and began walking home. However, the time of his route in which he would have encountered the children ranges from 1.45 to nearly 3 o'clock, leading many to think that he likely saw them in the morning. Day 23. Is today day 23? Oh, shit. All right. Uh, it could end up like that, Freaky Geek, but I don't need to because, see, Andy keeps track of that. <laughs> you know, I have three different calendar, big calendars in this house. And, you know, I can't seem to keep track of anything. So, one of the sen sentiments I see being thrown around online is that Tom Patterson's shaky testimony Maybe due to the fact that Australia Day is a public holiday in Australia. And usually there is no mail being delivered on this day. I haven't been able to find out whether or not this was the case back in 1966. But it's a popular online sentiment that seems to get thrown around a lot. Um, perhaps explaining Tom Patterson's confusion about the timeline. How could he remember seeing the children during his work route if he wasn't even working? Okay, well, Red, I will definitely check it out. Definitely got my curiosity up. <laughs> um, the second sighting. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm doing, Andy. Knocking back the hard stuff. Water and crystal light. I can't even read it. Oh, crystal light with caffeine. Strawberry pineapple refresh. Oh, it's not even peach. It tastes peachy. This is what it is. Okay, I, I even got the wrong. It tastes peachy. It looks peachy, right? <laughs> Jeez, I don't even know what I'm drinking. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. <laughs> it might be hard stuff. When I got the news, I screamed like joy. Oh, damn. God bless America, little bread. Why you got to do that to me? Really? Why you got to do that to me? Yeah. Yeah, it's all right. I mean, it's, it's, I like it. I mean, it's something better than just plain water, even though I will say Alaska has the best water. It's glacier water. Um, love it it's the first time in many many years well like my whole life uh really i can actually drink cold water and not be devastated i guess i don't know 
<laughs> okay, so despite these potential sightings, Nancy Beaumont was at home waiting for her children to get back. The two o'clock bus came and went, but Jane, Arna, and Grant were nowhere to be seen. Jim Beaumont, the children's father, got off work shortly after three o'clock. He had been in another town entirely, two hours north of Snowtown, selling linens with a business associate. He arrived home to find out that his children hadn't been seen in hours. So Nancy had been waiting for there to be any word or sight of them in the family's home. The two set off trying to retrace the footsteps of the children and making the trek to the beach. Back and forth they went for the next few hours looking for the children or at least a clue left behind, or someone that had seen him. Unfortunately, their search was completely fruitless. I won't say a word when I read it, but that's probably going to be the first thing that I do when I get off of here. <laughs> um... They didn't find their children between the house and the beach, nor did they find any of their kids' possessions. None of their towels, their clothes, not even Jane's copy of Little Women. Jim and Nancy decided to call the police roughly around 7.30 that evening after the children had been gone for close to 10 hours. Jim would search the area for Jane, Arna, and Grant throughout the night, with Nancy staying home in case they appeared. At some point in the next morning, the three Belmont children were officially declared missing by the police, who began the investigation to find them. The investigation began by retracing the information of where the children had been and where they had theoretically could have gone. This is where the investigation or investigators discovered the information about the witness at the beach and began to make a timeline of where the children had been and when. Hey, Carol! I keep good secrets, Andy, just so you know. <laughs> Welcome, Carol. How you doing, hon? I hope everything's well with you. Did you get electric yet? Hopefully. I hope you did. I try to have a lot of positive energy. <laughs> oh, awesome, Carol. Good news. All right. I'm so happy to hear that. That's awesome. Nothing like what being out without power, man. I'm telling you. You don't realize it, you know. Oh, that's always fun. <laughs> We'll be careful out there still. I'm sure there's a lot of crap out there that got blown around. Just be safe, hon. I'm so glad you got power back, though. I forget everything real quickly, Freaky Nicole complains about it. Eddie is the same way. But I always feel like the person complained. Yes, Little Red, right? Right? I know. We're getting attacked. The power's out. <laughs> I know. 
it's crazy when you, you don't realize how much, you know what I mean? I mean, I don't mind it, but it's still, after I, I have to whittle myself down from it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, okay, so we don't have no power. That's okay. I'm used to being bored. So watching TV or being on the internet, it's okay. And then when my phone dies, I'm like, well, what are you going to do? You know? And then, but if I was like three days in with no power, I'm going, I'm going to kill somebody. I'm going to kill somebody. No. <laughs> the other thing is, is keeping Eddie entertained while there's no power because Eddie is like a kid. He gets bored very quickly, very quickly. Like if he's not on the computer, when he's down having a cigarette, he's on his phone playing one of his games, looking through Facebook, something. He's always got to be doing something. But that's the worker in him. He's like that work-wise as well. So he gets frustrated if he's not doing something. So I understand that. But just trying to keep him. That's true, Andy. Better than three days with no power than three weeks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, Freaky Geek. I mean, <laughs> with him, without power, it's, uh, right. yeah, I hear you, Lil Rod, without Wi-Fi, yeah. See, I'm used to that, though. See, living here in the hotel, especially, I mean, not this year, not this season, but like, like next season or the season past, um, Wi-Fi, <laughs> people, that's what people get pissed about, too. Is Wi-Fi around here? Um, welcome back, Cassie. Uh, living on the island, we only have like two towers, if not one tower. So like all that, that tower is working overtime all the time in season. So our Wi-Fi, of course, gets used a lot and people get... Um, People get upset that the Wi-Fi is not faster, but it's like you're you came to an island, not Vegas, you know. <laughs> All right, so back to the story. The investigation began by retracing the information and where the children had been and where their they had theoretically gone. This is where the investigators discovered the information about the witness at the near beach um, at or near the beach and began to make a timeline of where the children had been seen and when. It was almost immediately ruled out that the children had been swept out to uh, sea by the tide. None of the personal items were found on the beach, and at least one of them would have been found had this was the case. Investigators would have found a book or towel of theirs or something like that. From the get-go, the case began to take on the attention span of a nation. The eyes of Australia were on Jim and Nancy Belmont, who were on TV and radio five days later on January 31st to appeal for the lives of their children. See, Andy, we're doing good, even without Eddie with the interruptions, but don't let him know that. Yeah, don't let him know that. Uh, <laughs> hundreds of tips began to fly into the police who thoroughly investigated almost every single call. 
as you can guess, all of them were dead ends. Anybody who saw the children wandering off alone or a group of kids in the company of a man called into the police with a potential avenue for safe rescue. However, this many had been detrimental to the investigation as the police began searching day and night for any hint or clue that would lead to the safe rescue, but came up empty. Everyone with a tie to the Belmonts was investigated, from neighbors to family friends to Jim Belmont's co-workers and work associates. The area of Adelaide was alight trying to find any trace of these three kids and looking for any wayward son that was out of place. The blonde young man was highlighted as a lead suspect right away, and sketches were drawn from what the eyewitnesses had seen. If you go online, you can try and get a good idea what this man looked like from the eyewitness perspective. Oh, I hear the door. Apparently, he had his key. Hi, baby. Okay, let's stop talking about him, guys. Huh? He said, "Go ahead and keep talking. He don't care." I need to start at four o'clock in the morning. Tonight? Tonight? Yep. Oh hell! All right, hold on. I gotta get my pop-up chat. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I did that. So I forgot. I was gonna get it for you. I can't do another yours. <laughs> He's gotta do it his way. I do because your screen's different than mine. Right. Where you're at here. Give him a second. He'll be joining us. Maybe. I can't find you. <laughs> Nicole said, I hear Eddie, so hush, freaky, and Andy. <laughs> Where are you at? I disappeared. You did? I'm not live to Eddie. <laughs> not alive. I have no idea where you're at. Do you want me to find me? Well, you're going to have to because I don't have you on here. Okay. Give me one second, guys. I got Mondays. Okay, hold on. Where's Monday? There it is. Well, I could have done it when you got to I that know. Point. I know. Let's get rid of this echo. Oh, that's beautiful hair, isn't it? Oh, hold on. Oh, he's got to do his magnet. I already did mine. Yeah, sure you did. I did. I don't believe you. It was on camera. Uh-huh. <laughs> Photoshopped. <laughs> and Missy's got to unlock the safe now to give Eddie his $5 allowance for the week. <laughs> I got a raise. <laughs> oh, let me put you on the screen. Okay. There he is. Mr. America. Hello, everybody. Well, good for her. <laughs> yes. I did 37 minutes with me. Wow, that's nice. <laughs> 
<laughs> hey, freaky geek. That's not nice. No, Edwina was my sister. <laughs> oh, all right. Welcome back. We haven't been talking about you. That's all right. I don't care. <laughs> I said we haven't. Because I know you're lying. Never. <laughs> <laughs> you all suck. <laughs> Why didn't I wear the magnet to the workplace? That, that's Can you a, imagine? That's a really good question. <laughs> so what do you, you got to start at 4 a.m.? 4 in the morning. To when? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't ask when you get out? Oh, I'm sure I'll be out by like 8. Right, yeah. I hope. Sorry, Eddie. I got you and your sister muddled up. I should remember that your beard is nowhere near as long as your bushy as hers. Yeah, you know, I said that before to her about her mustache, and she stabbed me with a fork. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <sighs> okay, where am I here? Everyone with a tie to the Balmonts was investigated. Oh, I already read that part. <laughs> Roughly two weeks after the children's disappearance, a local newspaper received a phone call picked up by a telephonist that worked for the newspaper. She described the man on the other end of the phone as having a quote unquote foreign accent. According to the telephonist, which I think, do they call receptionists telephonists over there? Apparently. Who quickly tried to transfer the call to the newspaper's chief of staff. The person on the other end of the story claimed to have claimed to have Jane Arna and Grant Beaumont. I want to I want reward money for them, he said in an accented voice. It'll have to be a good reward. Unfortunately, as the telephonist tried to transfer the conversation to her boss, the caller on the other side of the phone hung up. The police didn't immediately eliminate the call as a hoax, but it is not publicly known if they chose to investigate it any further. It wasn't the first time that the case was possibly marred by the ill-attempt pranksters and frauds, but unfortunately, it wouldn't be the last. You don't drink all that. Maybe, Freaky Geek, a switchboard operator? It could be. He's yeah, but still, you don't call them a telephonist. I know, it's weird, they're, they're right? They're called switchboard operators. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's over in Australia in 1966, so maybe they just haven't come up with a word yet. I don't know. I don't know. My stepmom worked on a switchboard for GE. Right. And that's what her title was, switchboard, switchboard operator. The investigation had almost no luck from the beginning, with the investigators looking into every possible nook and cranny of nearby beaches, Looking in, looking for a cave or a cove that the children could have wandered into or washed ashore upon, they would find nothing, not even an article of clothing or, or belonging of the Balmont Trio. The leads were empty for the next handful of months, but the police were finally notified when a woman came forward with information. It had been approximately six months since the Balmont children had disappeared, but she claimed on the night in January she had seen something odd. 
Next door to her was an abandoned house she had believed to be empty. And on the same night that the Belmonts disappeared, she had witnessed a man entering the house with two young girls and a boy in tow. According to this woman, she claimed that the boy left the house that the boy left the house hours later and started walking down the street, only to be chased and snatched by the man that was leading was leading them. For some reason, the woman decided not to report this to the investigator for months, for some reason that can only be guessed at. Um, the person writing this said, first, I find this a little too convenient. The woman reported seeing something shady happen on the night of a major news event and decides to sleep on it for a half a year. If this was true, which I have serious doubts about, then it might be one of the most aggravating things imaginable. Pardon my language. Oh, well, because he said fucking. Um, huh? Dun, dun, dun. Oh, after the story, we'll have to talk about a little thing about notifications and an idea that Andy came up with. Oh, no. <laughs> but needless to say, the next few months were rather quiet on a useful information front. People continued to report in suspects and sightings for at least a year after the disappearance. <laughs> and even months and years after that. People were not only watching out for their own children more fiercely, but the violent children were well on their way towards becoming a cautionary tale to be told decades later. Gerald, oh, okay. All right, Freaky Geek. Replay of what? He's saying, don't tell you. I bet you don't point out who's getting the no vacation stone. <laughs> ah! Freaky Geek just said I should just let you watch the replay and not tell you. About Andy's idea. I'm not gonna have time. I, I gotta. I gotta go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. Gerard Corset was a 57-year-old Dutch psychic, for lack of better terms. He claimed to have specialized in parapsychologists and psycho psychi that other word. Psychiatrist. My my <laughs> like my mouth just stops in the middle of it. You know, Nicole, you ain't got to tell me. I already knew. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be funny, too, Andy. Um, Psychiatry. Okay, I'm putting it in chat. Maybe I'm not because I can't copy and paste. Just spell it. P-S-Y-C-H-O-M-E-T-R-I-S-T. That word. Psychiatry. Yeah, yeah, you all, you all got it. Yeah, <laughs> my mouth is just not going to pronounce it, which is two fields. And don't spell it back because I can't hear you say it. <laughs> which are two fields that are not scientifically minded, but based on spiritually and paranormal beliefs. Crost had experience in aiding Dutch investigators with their case. Oh wait a minute, is this okay? No, not psychedelic. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that word, no problem. You mean psycho mouth tangle. There you go. That works. Um, so he had experience in aiding Dutch investigators with the cases for years, beginning the years following World War II. He had apparently helped Dutch police track down the killer of a young woman 
which gave him credit not only to Holland, but to surrounding European countries. In November of 1966, Ron's over there dancing banana. Yeah, I see him. Cross <laughs> uh, was invited to Australia by a wealthy businessman who was interested in the case. Um, Con Polites. Crusoe arrived with a big deal in itself and attracted a lot of media attention to the case. Once again, but her, perhaps not in a good way. Hi, hey, Scook. The Beaumont parents apparently didn't want much to do with Cross yet. Um, who viewed it, who was they viewed as a fraud. Despite that, unsurprisingly, people were eager to hear what he had to say. This began to turn the disappearance of the children into a public spectacle and brought the idea of the psychic detective to the forefront of the worldwide media. Police chose not to meet with Crossyette for the same reason that Jim and Nancy Bowman didn't want to. They believed him to be a crock, but the public felt the opposite and hoped that Crossyette would be able to unearth a clue that was waiting to be discovered. Greeting a large crowd at the Glenage Beach where the Beaumont children had disappeared from, Crossyette made a daring claim by stating that he didn't believe the children had been abducted at all but rather trapped underneath the flooring of a recently constructed warehouse building. He was also bold enough to proclaim that he would find the children within two days. I have had a vision of where the children started from. I will walk there and the vision will come to me immediately, Crossyette claimed. I'm 90% sure I will pinpoint the place where the bodies will be found. The police were already skeptical of Crossyette and weren't going to dig up the flooring of a private building based on a psychic's hunch. The public, however, bound together and raised over $40,000 in order to pay for the owner to dig up the flooring of the warehouse, which he did. No trace of the Belmont was found. The Belmonts were found. Not even a scrap of evidence leading detectives to believe they had ever been there. Crossia eventually left Australia after a short and unsuccessful visit. In 1996, when the warehouse was set to be demolished, it was excavated by Con Politis, the wealthy businessman that paid Crossyet's visit for over 30 years beforehand, but again came up with nothing. No trace of the Belmont children was found there despite Crossyet's claims. It had now been approximately two years since the disappearance of Jane Arna and Grant Belmont with not so much as a clue bringing their parents any sense of closure. At around this time in 1968, a letter arrived at the Post, postmarked from Dandenong, a suburb of Melbourne. Um, and I'm sorry if I butchered that. The letter was supposedly written by Jane herself, who had been 11 years old. This would be the first of two letters perpetrated to be written in Jane's own hand, own hand which police believed after matching up the letters to old school assignments, was written by Jane. They looked authentic enough for them, so at the time they believed that they could have been real and treated them with such. The letter from Jane claimed that the children were all right and were healthy in the care of the man. This man would remain unidentified through the letters, was allegedly taking good care of the children by ensuring their, ensuring their safety and feeding them well. Another letter would soon find itself delivered to Jim and Nancy Beaumont, and this one was written by the man himself. The person behind the letter claimed that they had 
appointed themselves the guardian of the three children, but would be willing to hand the three children over at time and place of their children. A direct quote from Jane's letter carried similar guidelines. You did have to wear a dark coat and white pants so the man will know you. The man told me to tell you that the police must not know at all. He said that if you if you do tell them, you may as well not come. So please do not tell them. The Dangding Post Office in Victoria, in case you did not know. We are all looking forward to seeing you next Monday. Please do not tell the police. The man did not mean to harm us. We still love you both. Love Jane, Arna, and Grant. Obviously, Jim and Nancy weren't going to, to this letter. Hold on. Obviously, Jim and Nancy weren't going to let this letter join the pile of others that they have been accumulating for over two years. If there's a chance at all, no matter how slim, that they could follow the instructions to get their children back, they're going to take it. So Jim traveled over 700 kilometers to Dan Dandenong. Yeah, right, Freaky Geek? That suburb of Victoria and waited outside the post office for better part of three whole days. The police were contracted by the Belmonts during this time period, and there were police officers surveying the scene. The press also became interested in the happening, and once the word got out that Jim Belmont was allegedly getting his children back, the area outside Dangnan Post Office was bustling with an unusual crowd. Unsurprisingly, no one came forward with the Belmont children. Jim returned home to Somerton without anything to show for his efforts. A short time after this unsuccessful trip to Dandog, a third letter appeared in the mail. This was written in the same hand that Jane's original letter had been written in and claimed to be from her. And Welcome, Patrick. Hey, Patrick. Thank you for the lemon, Freaky Geek. Thank you so much, hon. No problem, Patrick. Life happens, man. <laughs> um, I was late, too. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I was late, too. So it's all good. Oh, thank you for the ice cream scoop. I'm not seeing name. I, well, I can't see the name because of. Oh, do I have it a little bit too big on there? What, that your mic is muted? Oh, no. <laughs> I can make it a little bit bigger so you can see the name when it comes up. No, because it falls right underneath where. I know, but I can make the writing bigger so when it happens, you can so see. So you're it. saying I'm blind? No, but it'll be <laughs> under the. Your mic is muted. Now watching Eddie's magnet glow would have been so much fun <laughs> and messy. Why were they saying your magnet was glowing? No, no, it has to go with his whole Persona? idea for the no notifications. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Jane's original letter had been written in and claimed to be from her. In it, Jane claimed the man had been in Dagenung during Jim Baumont's visit, but had identi identified an undercover police officer and quickly left the area, never to return. This letter version of Jane claimed to be that the man had been betrayed by the Baumont parents and would, would be keeping the children. Roughly 25 years later, when forensic testing was, con was commonplace, 
Detectives were able to test the DNA on the letters. What they discovered was the letter had been written by a 41-year-old man who at the time had been a teenager and wrote the letter as a sick joke. Yeah, I'd say that's a sick joke. Yeah. That's not even an April Fool's funny. No. Unfortunately, the time period in which they could have filed charges had long since passed, <laughs> but the man had felt guilty about his vile acts as a teenager and regretted ever being involved in such a thing. But one thing has to imagine how his guilt compares to years of torment inflicted upon the Bowens and their decades of questioning that must have been rattling through their minds. August 25th, 1973. It has now been over seven years since the three Bowman children fell off the this little known map, a decade later, the trio are little more than a cautionary tale, a thing of the past, a story with a dead end. It's really hard for me to comment because I mislate have the story to begin with. Right. I mean, that's sad. So three kids just come up missing and never been found. Nope. Nope. Oh, it's cool to say it's going to be a new fashion <laughs> statement. I know, right? Only for eight more days. Today was day 23, I believe. Hey, he remembered. I was seeing because Andy told me, because I was like, when I, took <laughs> off the, I, when I took off the magnet, I was like, day whatever is done. And Andy's like, 23. Yeah, we got eight more days to go. <laughs> so now, shall we tell him about the idea? Oh, thank you, Patrick. Why do you think I want to live there? What happened with Patrick? Oh, Patrick uh, put up Keep Being Awesome. Oh, I never even seen it. You never seen it? No. Is the notifications not working again? Oh, oh, yeah, it's up there, but it's little. Oh, is that what that little box is? Yeah. It says Keep Being Awesome. Oh, you know, that comment, I know you're being sarcastic. (laughs) (laughs) See? So Andy thought it would be a great idea if when notifications, now that you're, you know, you were gone this morning, if I could wire it to where you get a little shock. Every- no, because my I'll turn my damn phone off. <laughs> no, notification for a lemon or a diamond or anything. Why? I see it when it pops up. I know, but he thought it'd be funny. To- oh, yeah, that'd be funny. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should bring something up that'll zap him every time he hits that vape pen. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on the voltage levels, that it could be hot or just a buzz. <laughs> that wouldn't be cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys were too late. Now everybody's like, no, just do it, Shadows. <laughs> You probably like it. <laughs> so I get over there to do this computer work. Yeah. I'm like, how long is this going to take? She said, about eight hours. I said, what? 
And she goes, you can finish it all today, right? And then you can come into work at midnight. And I, I, I'm looking at her like, what? <laughs> so it took me it took me about an hour and a half to get through the computer work. And they were like, can you come in at four in the morning? And I go, fucking won't you just fuck my whole sleep schedule up? <laughs> No, no, Nicole, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole, some suggestion was good for your four or five. Oh, oh, is that true now? Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Ron, for the ice cream. <laughs> I was taking a guess. I just seen Weasley. <laughs> so the so the truth comes out. No. Uh huh. Why so long? What freaky? Because uh, you said you had eight hours to do the computer work. Oh, because I, see, when they hire kids over there, these idiots read everything word for word, and it's like I just look at the pictures and then go take the quiz. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it only had two quiz sections. Yeah, the audio. Yeah. Now I got to go back and look to see if he really did say that. <laughs> Oops. Uh, well, you might stretch the truth a little. <laughs> oh, Scoop, really? You really um, want to ask that? Yeah. Really, Scoop? <laughs> I don't think you really want to ask where your fourth eye is. <laughs> the truth is Even Nicole there. said, Scoop, you don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, she got it now. <laughs> you had to go there. Can I have the water, please? <sighs> Just sit on it. <laughs> My voice is really. Yeah, so I, I guess I got to go in at four in the morning and I should be done around eight. And then I'll start my regular overnight. <laughs> Since I have pure thoughts compared to you guys. <laughs> Same here, Skook. I have pure thoughts too. It's these guys that, you know, uh, crumb. Let's see how pure your thoughts are, Scoop. Come into my channel Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> So the next story we got, and I got, I, this is the one that's going to confuse, probably confuse Eddie again. Oh, we got another Bruce and Bobby. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the mystery of Nic Nicholas Barkley and his imposter, Frederick Bourdain. Why does that sound familiar? Bourdain. Because he was on TV. He's the one that committed suicide. Oh. Anthony oh. Bourdain, he did the food. Oh, yeah. I remember who he is. But I think it's Bourdain. It's not the same spelling as Bourdain. Who's on the first one again? <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah, Bruce Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole or Nicholas Barkley. Nicholas Barkley went missing in nineteen ninety-four and turned up three years later. But after being reunited with his family, not all was as it seems. Now, who showed up? 
Did you say Nicholas? Yes. Okay. After how long? Hold on. Give me one second. What did you lose the story? No. Oh, God. That, that's Bruce. Nicholas Barkley. <laughs> Nicholas Barkley went missing in 1994 and turned up three years later, but after being reunited with his family, not all was as it seems. This is Nicholas Barkley as a young boy before the disappearance. Okay. Nicholas Barkley was a 13-year-old boy from Texas who went missing in 1994 after a basketball game with his friends at a neighborhood park. <coughs> Gordon was a 23-year-old male from France who had grown up in a home without love or affection and been taken to a life of crime to keep himself afloat. Though the two were vastly from different worlds, their lives would soon become dangerously inter intertwined and result in a mystery that has lasted almost 25 years. How do you get a Frenchman and American mixed up? Well, we'll see. <laughs> Nicholas Barkley disappears. So when Nicholas Barkley first went missing, his family didn't immediately raise the alarm. Nicholas was a troubled kid and had a court hearing scheduled for the day after his disappearance that would be determined if he would be sent to a home for juvenile delinquents. I don't know, Freaky. That's a good question. 1994, they had colored pictures back then. Why does this one look like it's from the 1800s? You know. His family simply assumed that he had run away to avoid the consequences of the hearing. That was weird. Um, soon after, it became clear that he, he was missing. He had only been carrying $5, and as far as anyone knew, he hadn't packed any clothing. If he had been planning to run away, his family theorized that he would likely take personal items with him. As it was, he left everything behind. So this kid just come up missing after a basketball game. Yeah. With only $5 in his pocket and no change of clothes. Yes. Okay. Hey, Frayne. Sorry if I missed you over in trouble. Oh, I can't see that part. And Mr. Testicles, how you doing? Okay. <laughs> Sorry if I missed you, Frayne. That chat was pushed up too high. I couldn't see. I just noticed a, uh icon that didn't look right. <laughs> yeah, see what Carol uh, gave you over there? The thumbnail? Ah, the wolf in the moon. Hi, Lisa. Hey, Lisa. That's it, Scoop. That's what we're... But he wasn't missing because apparently this Frenchman took his spot. <laughs> so, anyway, police opened a missing person investigation, but there was virtually no leads on where Nicholas could have gone. As he had only $5 to his name, the likelihood of him having a secured a ticket on public transportation was low, as was the possibility of finding room and board somewhere. It seemed the only explanation was that he hitchhiked out of town, and if he had, there had been even less hope in finding him. Then three months later, police received a phone call from Jason Barkley, Nicholas's uncle. He claimed that he had seen Nicholas trying to break into their garage, but when the police arrived, Jason told him that he fled. It was the only lead in the case so far, though it eventually panned out to be a dead end. Three years later, just as the Barkley family was beginning to lose hope, they received a miraculous phone call. 
Nicholas Barkley had been found lost and scared in the middle of a Spanish village. Immediately, he was flown back to the United States and reunited with his family. The family welcomed him back at once with open arms and an open home. They had kept his room just as he had left it and been anxiously awaiting his return. They missed him so much that they didn't notice the glaring inconsistencies between the son who had gone missing and the one who had been returned to them. So immediately, this isn't their son. He's got a tattoo. How old is he? It's a fake tattoo. <laughs> this is uh, posing him, point Nicholas. This is Nicholas posing before his disappearance. Okay. That's what everybody's trying to figure out, Patrick. The Nicholas Barkley, who went missing in 1994, was blonde hair and blue-eyed boy of 13 with a violent temper and an unruly attitude problem. The Nicholas Barkley, who found, who was found in Spain in 1997, was a dark-haired, brown-eyed boy of 16 who was eerily calm and made those around him uneasy. Despite the fact that he neither looked nor acted like their son, the Barkley family insisted without a doubt that the boy was their son. The hurling story of Barkley's pain and subsequent Hollywood happy ending made national headlines. A missing boy reunited with his family after years of abuse drew news crews and reporters to the Barclays. Home, uh, they reported to the Barclays' home in day in and day out. It also drew investigators who was determined to find out what had happened to Nicholas Barkley during the three years he was missing. According to Nicholas, he had been kidnapped on his way home from the park where he'd been playing basketball with his friends. Then he'd, ha he'd been put on a plane and taken to Europe, where his kidnappers had forced him into a child sex trafficking ring. Eventually, he said he had escaped and made it safely where he discovered by he was discovered by local law enforcement. As for his appearance, he said the kidnappers had changed his eye color and dyed his hair to conceal his identity. How the hell you change your eye color? After hearing the account of Nicholas Bar Barkley's ordeal, private investigator Charlie Parker became suspicious. You think? The hair and eyes claims were suspicious. It was unlikely that the kidnappers went to such great lengths to alter his eye color or could it or could have even been able to he was also put off by the difference in personalities though such traumatic circumstances would possibly result in a more subdued demeanor and the victim withdrawing into themselves parker felt that it was there was something more to than that he didn't seem withdrawn he simply seemed more mature older <laughs> even than his reported <laughs> um, reported 16 years. Carol says contact, color contact. I don't think they had color contacts back that far. Yeah, 97? I don't know. I like the idea of a color marker better. Yeah, I know, markers. Oh, wow. You can get your eyes a different color from places in South America. Yeah. So I, yes. I, I don't know. I'll stick with my blue eyes. To Parker's surprise, he was correct. Nicholas Barkley was not, in fact, 16, as he claimed to be, but 23. 
Furthermore, he wasn't even Nicholas Barkley, but a Frenchman named Frederick Borden. So this is Frederick, Frederick Borden. That don't look anything like the other kid. Here we go with Bruce and Bobby. <laughs> I know. It's Bruce and Bobby. They, they, he looks nothing like her. Well, it's a three years, you know. Yeah. After three years. That damn sure don't work well. Nah, I don't know. Hold on, don't say anything. Okay. Nah, they don't no, look he's anything. got a rounder face. Yeah, they don't look anything alike. Frederick Borden, also known as the Chameleon by Interpool, was a French criminal and serial imposter who had spent his entire life impersonating missing children and creating false identities and names. That's Well, that's probably how he stayed out of jail, leading a life of crime. Right. Been wanted by Interpool for several years and was believed to have massacred under no less than 500, or masqueraded under no less than 500 false identities. And he never got caught. When Borden had heard the story of the distraught American family looking for their missing son, he had easily slipped into the persona, having gotten the idea when a Spanish police officer suggested that he bore a resemblance to the boy. He was able to keep up the charade for three and a half months, fooling the Spanish authorities, the FBI, and even the Barkley family. Soon, though, Parker realized that Borden may not have been fooling the entirely Barkley family. Jason, Nicholas's uncle, had apparently begun to question Borden's authenticity as his nephew. Yeah. That's the one that he broke into. Right. Ron's bringing up a point, though. He says, how close to the border you are, you can look like one or the other. Well, he was in a different country. <laughs> Same with my oldest daughter, Skook. It's called Five Star Eyes. My daughter has five star eyes. For my dad, which I didn't get. No, my dad had to give the Eddie Munster hairline. Yep. His eyebrows and his boobs. That's what I got for my dad. I couldn't get the five star eyes that my daughter has. <laughs> oh, when I get mad, my eyes get really dark blue. Taylor's gets from goes from her normal color is like gray and then when she gets super excited like it's her birthday they become blue you're looking at me like you have never told me the story yeah i know like you've never met taylor <laughs> um, <laughs> but when she's like it's her birthday or christmas they get like this bright blue and then when she's crying or upset about something they become teal so you have skook and lisa wondering what five star eyes are they change colors, like mood rings. But more than just one color. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does. Sometimes it affects what she's wearing, or, you know, whatever she's wearing affects her eyes, too. But it's more, like, I can tell her moods more than anything. My youngest daughter, my well, Ryan has hazel eyes. They turn from <laughs> green to blue. I see that to end of brown. I see that a lot. That's my mom. 
I got stuck with brown eyes. Um, <laughs> but uh, but my my youngest daughter, she has brown eyes. She's the only one out of the three that has me and her father's eyes. Um, but if you look like at her profile, if she's like looking at something bright. It's almost like I don't know what leaves they are. Those purple leaves in the trees. What I, I know what you're talking about, but I can't. There's a tree, at least in New York, that turns. They have like the like I'm going like this. Like this means anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> they have a purple hue to them, and like that's almost like like a mar- not a maroon. It's more purplish than a maroon. Well, see, my. I don't know how I got blue eyes. My mom had red hair and green eyes. My dad had black hair and brown eyes. And I come out with blonde hair and blue eyes. Right. <laughs> the milkman was my dad. <laughs> All right, let's go on with this story. Okay, so soon now, the uncle, the one where Nicholas had broke into and he called the cops, right. he had fled. Um, is the one that was questioning the authenticity of the story. Yeah. As soon as Parker asked to interview him, however, Jason committed suicide, the victim of a drug overdose. The uncle was the one that committed suicide over drug, yeah, victim of drug overdose. Jason Barkley's death raised Parker's suspicions even more. And eventually outed Frederick Borden to the family. How long do you have your magnet on? 37 minutes. I got you beat. I just hit 38 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> See, he's, always, hit. he's always got to outdo me. No, I just happened to look down. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Jason Barkley's death raised Parker's suspicions even more. And he outed Frederick Barden to the family. The authorities arrested Barden and sentenced him to six years in prison, doubled the recommended time. Once again, the Barkley family was left without their son, the weight of which was so much more a second time that they believe he was finally home. Andy might be my dad. He said he had blonde hair and blue eyes. Oh, see? <laughs> I had blonde hair up until I was about... Uh, 32, and then it just started going gray. <laughs> Ryan, which is surprising because some of you have seen Ryan. He's got brown hair. He had like blonde, bleach blonde hair up until he was about five or six. No, after that, because maybe seven or eight, because he went, I know he's in kindergarten. He had his long hair and it was bleach blonde. It was so soft. Now, even when he shaves it, it's... Got a little Brillo pad. <laughs> well, no, no, it's not a Brillo pad. His father's is a Brillo pad. But uh, his hair is so soft. That's how he got his aunt nicknamed Spalding Ball. Like a Spalding tennis ball. You know how tennis balls Yeah. Play? That's what his hair feels like. So, <laughs> that's one of his nicknames, the Spalding Ball. So, now the kid that took off, he broke into his uncle's house. Yes. And then the uncle called the cops and let them knew that he had fled. Yeah. And then he turns around and he, and he killed himself. In. No, no, no. This kid came in. Okay. He questioned that kid. Like, that's not my nephew. And then all of a sudden he's dead on a drug overdose. Yes. Oh, yeah. 
So um, Borden, however, didn't realize that the Barclays' grief was. Oh, Borden, however, didn't believe that the Barclays' grief was real. While in police custody, he proposed a disturbing theory. Why would have the Barclay family accepted him into their home so willingly when it was so clear that he wasn't their son unless they had something to hide? Well, I don't know. The other kid never showed up, did he? No. Huh. Furthermore, he suggested that some that something was murder, that one or all of the Barclay family's members had murdered Nicholas and adopted Borden, knowing full well he was an imposter to cover it, cover it up. Do you think that's why the uncle wound up dead? Maybe. Because that's he, him as an as. Yeah, that don't look like the, the kid. Not at all. And maybe that's why when, you know, he's, he told him, he says, that's not my nephew. And now all of a sudden he's dead. Right. Hmm. Charlie Parker bought into Frederick Borden's theory and has been working toward proving them ever since. Using evidence gleaned from initial investigations and others that were open after Borden's imprisonment, Parker has put together a compelling case. He believes that Nicholas Barkley's rage eventually pushed a family member over the edge. Police had been called to the home on more than one occasion and the family had vocally expressed their displeasure with his attitude. Jason Barkley's death was also seen as an admission of something as it came up at an unusual time. So instead of this guy murdering the uncle, that's what I first thought, was like, oh, he knows that it's not, I'm not Nicholas, so I'm going to murder him. The family is the one that murdered him. To keep his mouth shut. Yeah, going, I know that's not my nephew. And they're like trying to hide it. You know, Patrick, that, that's a good question. Why didn't they ever do a DNA test? Right? I mean, it was in 97, so. <laughs> well, they probably didn't do it because the parents convinced everybody that that, that, that was, was their son. Kid. Yeah. Though there was no body and there was never no conviction, but of, the, but of that of a known criminal. Parker remains confident that the Barclays are not blameless in their son's disappearance and is hell-bent on discovering exactly what they had what, the what they had was. to do with it. Yeah. So far, he has nothing, but that doesn't mean he won't stop trying. Excuse me. I don't have any confession. There is no body. Murder is simple and very basic, Frederick Borden said. I think something happened inside that house, but I can't prove it. So Frederick, the one that imposed was the imposter, is even trying to say something is not, not right. right. Why were you so eager to accept me thinking I'm your son when I'm sure all these other people he tried to, you know, imposter? It took him a little bit longer to. Yeah, yeah. And he noticed that. He noticed that, like, these people. The family are in on it. Why wait three years to have the other one show up? Better to just claim that he had run off and avoid too much digging in the garden. Yeah. Well, we can't say that they, that they did kill him, Lisa, but it seems like everything points in that direction. Like knowing that, like the uncle knew that that wasn't his nephew. Yeah. So why did they, I mean, I, I understand parents' remorse, their grief, you know what I mean? Oh, my God, my son's back when it's not. 
if somebody, God forbid, ever took any one of my kids and then another one, I'm going to know, I would think, I would hope at least, that I would know that that's not my kid. Exactly. Even if it's been three years, five years. Yeah. Especially he was what? People under the stairs, right, Ron? He, he was what, 13 when he disappeared? Yeah, he was 13 when he disappeared, 16 when he came back. So well, when Frederick. Right. At the age of 16, or by the time between 13 and 16, you're really not going to change all that much. Well, Ryan did. But I knew it was him. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's not enough to be able to go, yeah. damn, are you my kid or? Right. I'm going to look into my, like, my kids, and maybe it's because I'm an eye person. I love people's eyes. You know what I mean? Because I, I really feel that they are the windows to the soul. So, like, my kids, I've stared in my kids' eyes long enough to, at least I would hope. That even from across the room, you can, that's my kid. Yeah, yeah. That's true, Scoop. That is true. You can tell my son within five words of him <laughs> opening his mouth. Even Nicole recognized him real quickly as being a fruit of my loins. <laughs> Well, see, it's not fair for me because my son and myself, when he was 21, 22, we looked like identical twins. Yeah. Yeah. And I hadn't seen him at this point. I hadn't seen him in, oh God, almost eight years. Right. And I show up the airport to pick him up. And just as I pull into the airport parking lot, I, I, I spotted him like a half a mile away. And I'm like, there's my kid. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Yeah, exactly. We know our children. I mean, you know, my kids used to hate it because I could even tell by their eyes when they were sick and when they were faking. You could tell which one was who was going up and down the stairs. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ryan, that messed Ryan up. Mr. Mingster that comes in here, that rest, messed him up for a bit. A, a bit. <laughs> How do you know it's me and not Taylor? <laughs> Is that a joke or are you being serious, Ron? Because if you're being serious, that's messed up. That is messed up. Well, I don't know. You heard what my mother said to my son. Right. I don't know. You know, with, with stuff like that, you know, I just, I know I know my kids. You know what I mean? And did you actually use all the stories today? No, I got two left, but obviously that's not gonna. <laughs> it's normal. Freaky Geek and Andy took your place of distracting me. Oh, they did it. That's today. what it was. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having my back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's yeah, it's not. <laughs> wow, Ron. I'm sorry to hear that, Ron. Yeah, definitely, Skook. Same here. My kids, yeah. Freaky Geek says, oh, I think he's supposed to say, oh, did we? <laughs> for, for distracting you. <laughs> you did. You guys were distracting me. Andy was coming up with plots again against Ann, or against Andy. Andy was coming up against Coming up with plots. Self-inflicted plots. Yeah. Um, against Eddie. 
Oh, uh, Andy, <laughs> I watched him and listened to that video, man. That's a hell of a job. Oh, yeah. Oh, you had my oh, back. Oh, yeah, that's true. They were coming up with that plot with that uh, whole, you know. He still had my back. Okay. They still kept you distracted. Right. <laughs> so if, if there might be a day or two you guys don't see me, I just because I got to get my sleep pattern and rearranged. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the music. Andy. The music video that you posted. On your channel. You know, like that one said when you're trying to eat and you realize you're tripping out and everything looks like it has eyeballs and shit. <laughs> it didn't say, Patrick. It didn't say that the family was rich or anything. Yeah. Yeah, that one. The, the music, dude, I could just sit there and just fall asleep to that. Ryan goes through that with with his dad. Ron, not that Ryan would, not that Lee ever said that um, Ryan wasn't his, but because I was friends with my milkman, no, my post, my uh, mailman, my mailman, <laughs> and there could have been some things that could have happened um, if, like, my ox didn't come back into the picture. I, but I'm glad he did because then we had Danielle. Um, but um, so yeah, he he's always saying that Ryan is the product of the mailman. Randy. That's what I keep hearing. I didn't see just Jim come in. Hey, just Jim. There he is. How you doing? How you doing, Jim? Shadows locked, Mr. Chaos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's cool, Andy, that you sat there and just, it came to you. That's yeah, pretty, if pretty he just cool. made that up, they, I mean, it, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. But, yeah, I mean, so every time, you know, uh, something goes on with Ryan or whatnot. It's like the mail. The, 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 Leo will be like, the, the it, it's Randy's fault. <laughs> <laughs> So poor Ryan, even though he's 23 years old, he's going to hear that for the rest of his life. The sweet next door, and that's why I was there with blue eyes. With George C. Scott I don't think I have, Patrick. Yes, that's the one that Taylor made us watch. The changeling with the freaking fairy that, and that was that scary. If we started watching it, you I would remember would. it. That was a good movie, Patrick. I wonder if that's why my mom and dad got divorced when I was five. That ain't my goddamn kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you look like you're dead, too. Now I do. That, your gene, oh, my God. Now I look like my father, but when I was younger, I didn't look anything like my dad or my mom. Milkman was. And that's the scary part, too, because... Well, you know, the scary part is my dad was a milkman. <laughs> my sister, that we got reunited after how many years, 
she we looked like we could have been oh twins. Oh my god, yes. His youngest sister. She's three years younger than I am. No, five years younger than I am. Like if if Eddie didn't have his beard and mustache, I mean she's the girl image. Same attitude too, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> of Eddie. And they never like grew up together. Nope. I met her one time when I was five years old. And she was a baby baby. Yep. And um didn't know it until what six years ago? Nah, not even. Five years ago? About that. Somewhere like that. Didn't even know he had a little sister. No, I get I get a message on, on Facebook, Facebook asking me, are you Edward Hartlib senior or junior? And I'm like, um junior? She goes, You're my brother. I said, What? <laughs> Had no clue. It was messed up. We had to go out and have a cigarette after that. <laughs> but then I seen a picture of her and I'm like, yep, yep. that's my sister. <laughs> She's definitely yep. that was that was definitely wild. And I mean, like I said, she is the girl version of him. And we're five years apart, but you'd swear to God we were twins. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much most of my family on my dad's side, we all look alike. Yeah. Well, that's like the the Blackman side of, of the kids. Like, I used to have a wall with, with, of course, my kids' pictures, but all the cousins, you know, all my nieces and nephews and that from Lee's side of the family. Right, just you. And like you, I mean, they all looked different but you could all tell that they were related like they had some like ryan looked like his cousin kenny which looked like lee which i mean they were all like that family tree is tight uh freaky geek andy andy k has a, a i think it's a dog is his thumbnail looks like a little dog because when you pull up andy k on youtube there, there's a there's a ton yes. of yes scook i know yeah dave schrader you know who Dave Schrader is. Yes, I know who he is. Um, that's because every year on my birthday, I, I go to Eddie going, I got a message from Dave saying happy birthday. <laughs> um, that's how Eddie knows who he is. Um, he, um, yeah, that's true. He has like 10 kids now. He didn't know. Yeah, he yeah. just, and he's got more, like more family, not just kids. <laughs> but more family. Andy, you said that's a selfie? That looked like a damn dog. <laughs> Unless you're just making fun of it. <laughs> I found it. I mean, I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's crazy, Skook. It really is. That actually happened to me. Um, I got contacted last year by my nephew saying hey aunt missy i have a brother and i'm like what <laughs> you're right we said genetics dna they are amazing they really are like my i look like my mom i definitely look like my mom what oh uh, with the story patrick Because if, if you're thinking that of that story, I, I I I think it goes deeper than that. Yeah. 
I think it goes a lot deeper than that. I definitely. See, all my kids, it's funny. Because all my kids, if like, they're here. Everybody will be like, oh, Missy, they look just like you. And then they see the picture of their father and they're go, oh, they look just like him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially with my girls. Ryan, you can tell, he looks identical to Lee. But when he was younger... I, he looked more my family. With that story that she just read, Patrick, I, I, I think there's a lot of foul play in that. And, and they just accepted him to cover it up. Oh, wow, Scoop. That's another thing. Yeah, the voices. Like, Ryan, if, if I put all three of my pictures of my kids up, like, Taylor, my oldest, and Danielle, my youngest, look like, Danielle looks like a mini, mini me of Taylor, but in her own way. Yeah. But Ryan, you can see both the girls in him. Yeah. And it's weird that you could see Danielle in him, seeing how much older he is than Danielle. Yeah, 10 years different. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so like, but it's funny because like all the girls take after me. They all have the Eddie Monster, but all the girls, like I have a million of them. The two girls <laughs> have the Addy Monster hairline. Ryan doesn't. They all have the crooked nose because they're Italian. But only the girls have my, I have a button nose. I don't know if you can see it, but. I, I know it's not a spirit, Patrick. Yeah, that's that's what we were talking about. Is uh, even the kid that came to replace the one that, that came up missing started to understand that something was just not right. And when... The missing kid's uncle said, that's not my nephew. All of a sudden, he winds up dead. Oh, yeah, and Patrick, you missed the first part of the story to where this guy knew that he wasn't, the, he's an imposter. He's he's um, imposter 527 identities, different identities. So he knew he wasn't, it wasn't like he was put in there by somebody. He was 23 at the time, trying to masquerade as a 16-year-old. Yeah, and then when the uncle pointed out that that's not my nephew, he wound up dead. There's no vodka in there. <laughs> I don't like vodka. I, I, I know better. Only in white Russians, but <laughs> I know, Scoop, that is weird how we say that, turn up missing. Yeah, no, no, that's okay, Patrick. Yeah, don't, not a problem, Patrick. Don't don't apologize. I totally, it didn't even register. That he wasn't here at the beginning of the story? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It didn't even register. Yeah, even the 23-year-old the masquerading as a 16-year-old knew something was fishy. Do you, Joanne? I look like my mom, but people can see I've got my dad's qualities, too. I have my dad's personality. More than anything. Remember when I was 23 and tried masquerading as a 14-year-old rump boy? How'd that work out for you? <laughs> yeah, Scoop. Room sprays, definitely. Yeah, not, yeah. Okay, Patrick. I totally didn't even, it didn't even dawn on me. I'm sorry. That's my bad. Yeah, even, uh, even the kid said that he felt like uh, the kid was murdered. Yeah, Something happened in like, the house. Knowing that he wasn't the kid, 
like how welcoming they were. Yeah, they didn't question anything. They didn't question anything. You know, so they, you know. Oh my God. <laughs> Andy, you guys are bad. Oh. I tell you. So, yeah. I, I mean, crazy. That's crazy stuff. Excuse me. Must be run the wall on time. Your camera's starting to blink in and out again. See? It does, too. It's about, about the right time. It's because I'm checking things. Is that better than it stop? Well, I don't know. It doesn't constantly do it. Oh, sorry. My goodness. You know, uh, Lisa, that, that would be a good topic, but that would be a long story yeah. that would be i mean usually even just every winter up here as the snow thaws within probably a hundred mile radius they'll find six that have frozen to death mm-hmm. i'm not bad just innocent <laughs> indicated he posted a video on facebook my being oh all the grandkids look like your son, same smile. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot, Lisa. There's a lot here, no doubt. Hold on, I gotta find something real quick. Oh. So it's gonna echo. Okay. lost. Hey, Andy, is it all right if I drop your link uh, to YouTube for Freaky Geek? Oh, he did it. I see that. That's what I was going to do. Everybody's going to girl names now. That's what I was going to do. Is that's what I was looking for? Is I went to the YouTube, to his video, and copied the link. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> that's why I. That's, that's why right. I asked before I did it, though. Great minds think alike. That's all right. <laughs> all right, guys. You know what time it is. Get your butts on over there. Oh yeah, and don't forget to book Andy. Please contact his manager. Curl Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, it's been fun, even though I didn't get the uh, full show with you. Um, like I said, you might not see me here and there until I can get my work schedule figured out now, especially coming up the 24th, 25th, and 26th. Um, you probably won't see me at all, but, <laughs> <laughs> but this is where I say fist bumps, hugs, stay safe. Stay strong, and hopefully I'll get to see you guys tomorrow. I totally forgot to start the credits. What? Hype over that? Get over at a D Live. Hype up that chat. Give you a few more minutes so you can, or a few more seconds at least. So 
I can get this, the credits rolling. Well, hi, Lindsay. Hey, Lindsay. She oh. Was, oh, yeah, she was, she was working. Chris was listening. <laughs> Take care, Lisa. Little Red was listening, too. I know. I've seen her somewhere. Now I got to go check Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> guys, thank you guys so much for being here. I appreciate it. You yeah, always make just... it fun. What? Oh, yeah, definitely. They make it fun, all right. They definitely, there's that eyeball. Bless you too, Nicole. You guys are just amazing. You really are. I, I can't thank you enough for being here every day with us. Well, at least five days. Well, no, every day, just about, with Eddie's channel, too. You guys are just, I can't even. Yeah, but my channel's a little bit different. <laughs> That's true. All right, guys, I'm releasing the chest. Hit that button. Come on, Freaky, you can get it this time. Get in there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Freaky, I've seen Freaky over here a lot on YouTube more than I did in uh, Restream. Or D-Lab, I mean. Right. He's over there, though. I know, but remember, it depends on how much you type in each room and how many lemons you get. Right, yeah. Eight seconds, guys. Click on that chest if you have, if it didn't pop up. All right, Ron got six. Oh, that's scary, Ron. Ron got 66.6 lemons. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> okay. Patrick got thirty-six or thirty-eight point six. Freaky Geek got twenty-eight point two. Skookum got twenty-two point six, and Joanne got nineteen point one. So Freaky got some. Freaky got some. There you go. I don't know if anybody else got any in the. Yeah, I know, it, a lot it, of sixes. It only shows what your top four. Uh, no, it shows the top five. Top five. Yes. So hopefully you all got some that were over there on D-Live. Again, thank you guys so much for being here. We for another great show. So you much. guys make it You guys make it so, so easy to do. Little Red got 16.6. You are very there welcome. There are a lot of sixes. Uh, there are a lot of sixes. Wow. Now to make pizza. Waiting for my son Ben to make the sauce. Nice. Nice. Good thing Eli ain't in the room. I know, right? He'll be like, Scoop, I'm coming over. <laughs> oh, Freaky Geek says he hops back and forth. Yeah, I see it. Thank you guys so much for being here. We appreciate each and every one of you. I hope you guys know that. I really hope you do. Um, Yeah, so tomorrow's, oh, tomorrow is What Up Wednesday. And let me tell you something. We are talking controversies conspiracy theories right oh yeah we're talking the five insane conspiracy theories about the government that actually thank you ron thank you ron so much that actually turned out to be true thank you patrick you take care and be safe yourself thank you patrick we're going to be talking mk ultra mockingbird northwoods oh my god the tusky syphilis experiment about how do you test experiment with syphilis oh, you it's let me tell you it's wild illegally um spying on its own citizens of course the u.s yeah we know that yes we know that now right and then we're going to talk about the black pyramids flying over the pentagon in 2018 and moscow in 2009 
Ron's giving back all these lemons because he's just one sixty six point six. Yeah, right. <laughs> Thank you so much for the three lemons, Ron. I appreciate it. You guys are amazing. So make sure you come back tomorrow. Until take, then, take care, everybody, and remember: find something that makes you smile with your eyes. Love you guys. Bye. See you tomorrow.